A reading from the book of Moses, Genesis 28, 10 through 19 in the New American Standard Bible. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord and God of your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. A reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verses 10 through 12 and 23 through 24 in the New American Standard Bible. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 44, verses 6 through 8 in the New American Standard Bible. 
Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last, and there is no God beside me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount to me in order. From the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. Amen. Amen. Psalm. Oh, a reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 86, verses 11 through 17. Teach me your way, O Lord. I walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness toward me is great and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, arrogant men have risen up against me and a band of violent men have sought my life and they have not set you before them, but you, O Lord, are a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Oh, grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. A reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 119, 57 through 64, in the New American Standard Bible. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight, I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness. O Lord, teach me your statutes. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 through 25 in the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is not seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, in the New American Standard Bible. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both, the, uh, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of har- the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who goes, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. 
In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who hears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come here to uh, glorify your name, to hallow your name, to see your word exalted, to bless you, to, to praise you. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come here and your will would be done here on earth the exact same way it is in heaven. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to start off by saying I actually uh, made a mistake. So you could take the notes for uh, the gospel reading and see if they apply or not, because that's not the scripture reading I had in my mind when I was writing those notes. But a lot of it probably actually still applies. I think I was a week ahead. That's totally my fault. Um, but a lot of it's going to tie in anyways to our uh, reading of, of Genesis. We're going to mostly look at Genesis, Romans, uh, briefly at Psalm 119, and then uh, the gospel passage. So a lot of those notes where it has um, various things don't necessarily apply because I was reading the wrong gospel reading. Maybe for next week. My notes are done for next week. So, uh, one thing is that, so first with pointing out um, in Genesis, to give it a little context, because our scripture readings, especially for Genesis, are condensed um, in the reading. So, last week we looked at, uh, I just want to briefly point out that like Esau and Jacob, Esau is a beastly man. He's a worldly man. He was hairy, right? I'm pretty sure Daniel brought that out. I saw his notes. I didn't listen to it, but the notes were good enough. Uh, he's a beastly man. I'm sure he brought out that he was hairy like a beast. Is that right? Okay, good. Um, and so this is after Jacob has stolen not just his birthright, but the blessing from Abraham. And I want to just read in context verse 3 of chapter 28. Uh, this is Abraham talking to his son Jacob, because we're going to be looking at another son who's trying to find a bride, right? That's a theme we looked at at least two weeks ago, and we're going to look at that again. But when we're talking about on Sundays is, um, you know, understanding how to read the Bible and Greg's talking over and over, making the point again, that if you don't understand the themes and the meta-narrative in Genesis and Exodus, you won't understand any of the Bible at all in what God has intended. So where does this sound familiar? Uh, well, he is actually going to say it. So if it doesn't sound familiar, then we'll back up a little bit. Uh, this is Isaac um, blessing and we're talking to Jacob. Uh, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give you, may he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land and the sojournings that God gave Abraham. Right, he sent, then he sends him away to find a wife, right? And where does he tell him to go find a wife? From his people right? Don't go to foreign people. Don't find a wife among the foreign, the foreigners who have foreign gods. And then so in verses six through nine, if you didn't know that Esau was a beast, it says he is. He goes and finds a wife from the Ishmaelites. 
not the blessed people, not the not Yahweh's people, foreign gods, right? Um, and you guys can study this out further, but how that, um, you know, just think in, in context of from the very first uh, chapter of Genesis, you know, that mandate of not just be fruitful and multiply, but take dominion of the beast of the field, of the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, not just, you know, allegorically saying, well, there's things up, there's things down, there's things, you know, uh, laterally outward, and we're going to take dominion of the whole earth. Yes, that's what it's saying. Um, but even if our, maybe this is the gospel reading for next week, talks about gathering fish from everywhere. Uh, it's another parable that I prepared for today on accident. But, um, but the call from God's people from the very first chapter is to take dominion of the entire earth. And that's not just livestock. He's talking about beasts, right? We're going to take every thought and every worldview captive. And Paul wrestled with beasts in Ephesus, right? He wasn't, there's no instance, we don't know, we know from Acts that he didn't get attacked by a bear and he was wrestling with that sort of beast. But he's talking about those, those uh, you know, taking worldviews, taking captive, like making disciples of Christ for the kingdom, right? That's how he wrestled with beasts. That's how, you know, in um, uh, Galatians, you know, he's taught, he doesn't use the word beast, but that's what he's doing. That's a, a prime example of how he's wrestling against beasts that would come in and disrupt his church from truth, from God's word, from the gospel of the kingdom. So Esau goes and marries an Ishmaelite. He's a beast, right? And there's, if you don't understand the, the flow, I love... Like, this is one of my favorite things to do is just because, you know, the Lord is so masterfully, like, written, especially Genesis. And you start looking at when Abraham was first called in chapter, what, like, well, in 12, when he blesses him, when Abraham's blessed in chapter 12, you know, that his, that Abraham is going to be the one that has offspring that is far more numerous than the stars in the heaven and the sands of the seashore. And that blessing is being passed down to Isaac, then to Jacob. And that's why we're called, you know, uh, Abraham's offspring in John 8 is because of the same, the same faith and promises. Not just that we have faith in the same things that Abraham had faith in, but we actually receive the same promises. And our gospel reading tells us that as well. So, into the actual reading of Genesis. So look at, like, so what's Jacob doing? He's fleeing. At this point, there's not a didactic statement um, that Esau is, is after Jacob, that he's, like, ready to get him. But we do know that after Jacob serves with Laban for 14 years and he starts coming back, he's very afraid of Esau about getting attacked. And, you know, they end up reconciling, but... But, like, who sleeps on a rock? He's a, he's a son of Isaac, who's a son of, of Abraham. They've got money. They've got lots of wealth. They've got lots of fame. People know who they are. Who sleeps on a rock? Poor people. Poor people. I'm sure poor people don't even sleep on rocks, right? He's, it seems like, you know, if you're reading this, like, that should stick out to you. You'd be like, why is he, like... That seems like really uncomfortable at the very least. He's probably tired, right? And then so 
I didn't put it in the uh, in the notes per se, you know. But we're looking at Christocentric and Christotelic themes, like so. You know, my idea is like when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, how does this correlate to to the actual life and ministry of Christ, right? If Jesus is saying that all the scriptures in John 5, 39, that all the scriptures tell about him and point to them, point to him and are about him, then where does this fall in line with Christ? Well, you know, uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head, not even a rock. Jacob was mightily blessed with a rock to put a head, put his head on, right? And, and Christ, you know, wandered in the same way. Here's, here's Jacob wandering in the wilderness. But um, it's a type of wilderness, but who's been here before? Who's been to Bethel before? Where do we see that? Because we're going to, the word Bethel means God's house. God dwells here. We're going to see that the angels are ascending and descending, Um you know, in this place after, after Jacob's dream. But does anybody remember where, who was here before? John Luke, you got it? Abraham, Abraham, Abraham was here before. Um, I didn't write any notes, but it's in chapter 12. He's in, it says that Abraham's here in chapter 12. He builds an altar. He's met with God here. He's, he's uh, I don't know what the proper, seeked God here. I don't know if, sought. Thank you. Uh, he sought God here. He built an altar here. Um, I don't think he built a well. Abraham was building wells and Isaac was building wells. Um, and I believe Jacob builds wells. Uh, and I don't think there's a well here. So it's not a complete wasteland. But Abraham's been here, right? And, and he sought God. And what does he see? He sees in a dream, right? The Lord is opening his eyes. He lays his head on a rock. Was First Corinthians ten say about who was the rock that followed the uh, the Egyptian followed the Israelites uh, through the desert? Christ. It says the rock was Christ. It doesn't. Paul doesn't put it in such a way in First Corinthians that says the rock was a type of Christ, right? But there was a literal rock following the people through uh, the desert, and it it poured out. You know, and Moses struck the rock and it poured out streams of living or moving water, right? Those are clear images. But so, you know, think about this as you're reading because, um, you know, there's, you know, Genesis is filled with dreams and so is Matthew and, you know, some other small instances. And it's not like a huge theme, but he doesn't see it. He dreams it, right? And what does Christ say in John 1, 51? When he's calling the disciples, he's saying, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jacob dreamed, you're going to see. You're going to see what Jacob dreamed. And, you know, I love Jacob's response. This place is awesome. (laughs) Right? I love this place. Right? I love, I would sleep on a rock every day if I could have my mind opened and have visions of heaven being opened up. And this is the place where God dwells. God lives here. Right? Then he anoints the rock. Like, let's let's pour oil on this rock, make an altar. Right? This is something special. And what, uh, you know, what Jacob dreamed the disciples saw, right? Think about that. You know, and as he's, as, 
I'm kind of going in between John chapter 1 and John chapter 2. You know, there is a time gap in between those chapters, but at the end of, uh, you know, after Jesus, the first flipping of the tables and of the temple in John chapter 2, Jesus is saying, you know, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. And they're like, you're crazy. It took us like 40 years to do this. And it clearly says that he wasn't talking about the temple. He wasn't talking about Herod's temple. He didn't care about Herod's temple. He was talking about his body, right? So who was the rock that Jacob slept on that opened his eyes to see what God was doing? It was Christ, right? This is how we ought to read Genesis. These are those themes that we ought to see, right? So when we, you know, not just, uh, you know, well, either way you look at it, you know, I'm not going to be able to interpret anything rightly outside of the Spirit of God and, you know, open up my mind to understand correctly anyways. But these are, this is one of those things that, you know, God, you know, through the apostles, by the Holy Spirit, has, like, said directly that, like, you know, when Jesus in his ministry is saying, like, I am the Son of Man, I am the gate, I'm that ladder between heaven and earth, right? And they're supposed to get these things. These are people who were steeped in Genesis, steeped in Exodus, and in, in these themes, and so, uh, you know, we're seeing again that, uh, that there's another son. This is in the process of he's like, you know, he's in the wilderness. He doesn't have anybody, you know, with him. No one's like, oh, here's Jacob. Like, he's on the run. <laughs> like, he just sold blessing. He's like, I'm out. <laughs> See ya. Uh, and, you know, this isn't, you know, uh, for Jacob, this he's going to go find a wife, and he's looking. He's got. He's on a man on a mission, but it doesn't seem that he's like a man of like great joy, you know, in the wilderness until he has his eyes open, until he sees what God's doing, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, this is great. God's here. This is where you know uh, God is dwelling." Right? Bethel means God's house or where God dwells. Um, so it was, it was that rock, it was that, the mode that God's using is that rock, and there's different, you know, the ESV says, says stone, but, um, you know, look at those themes about, you know, the rock, and that's the mode God's using to open Jacob's eyes to see what he's doing in there. So we'll talk a little bit that more when we get to the, uh, to the gospel reading. And so, so that leaves us 13 minutes. Um, I'm going to skip one, Psalm 139. Uh, such a great psalm. Read the whole thing. Meditate on it. Cry for hours reading that one. Um, let's go to... Uh, I just want to say something really quick about the Psalm 119 passage that we're throwing in there. Um, let me read it, the selection, so you can understand... Okay, here's my page. Here we go. Uh, verse 60 of Psalm 119. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Don't dilly-dally. <laughs> Just do it. Just obey the Lord. Think about those things. Right, and, uh, and then 62. At midnight I rise up to praise you because of your righteous rules. You know, we're... Uh, I'm just going to 
say this when we move on for time, is like we're called to be people who not just like know God's words, but like think about his law, his law, his law, his law, his rules. What is righteousness? What is justice? Right? Uh, read Leviticus a thousand times, Deuteronomy, Exodus, where the law of God is, is spelled out. And, and what that means, not just in this evangelical sense of, well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't know all the laws that are attached to that or the statutes about what that means, then you're still just uh, obeying God according to your own standard. So love the law of the Lord. Know it. Obey it quickly. Love God quickly. All right. Um, We'll kind of wrap up the Romans. I just want to keep in mind um, as we talk about, uh, we're just going to talk about one thing in the gospel. Um, gospel passage. I'm going to pull it up real quick in Matthew. Uh, It's towards the end to tell the purpose of this parable. Um, But think in context of what Christ is doing in his earthly ministry is he's going to find a bride, right? He's coming to his own people just like Jacob was sent to his own people to find a bride amongst his people, amongst the Yahweh worshipers. And, you know, uh, just like we'll get into, um, I don't actually know what the, the, gospel, or the Genesis reading for next week is, um, but if you know the story of Jacob, he goes to Laban and he doesn't get treated pretty fairly. He gets uh, duped and he works 14 years uh, to get his bride, right? And he's... Uh, unfairly treated and he's you know maligned and Laban's a, a, a terrible person and so um, you know in our in our gospel reading and what we're seeing Christ doing is you know what's the when he says like the end of the age where do most people think the end of my age right at the end of time right that's not what he's saying He's saying the end of the age. Like, what age? Well, uh, partially the answer is in your Bible and how uh, most of the church has understood it through history is we have an Old Testament or an Old Covenant and a New Covenant or a New Testament, right? There's this time that Christ is coming to seek his bride, right? And And he's going to come in judgment, but he's going to get his bride and he's going to pull out the weeds, and he's going to separate the tares from the wheat. And no longer are they going to worship God, right? Jesus in, throughout John is saying that he's the temple. says that in Matthew. says that in, um, I believe, all the Gospels pretty clearly. Is that he is the true temple. And that when his body is destroyed, he's going to come and, and get his bride. At the end of that age, when this earthly temple is destroyed, right, the true temple Jesus Christ will rise, right? So he's not talking about at the end of the age and uh, whenever the world's supposed to end, 2024 or whatever. Uh, you know, whatever people say. I don't know what the new, newest uh, prophecy craze is, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, there's a coming and end of an age where no longer are people going to worship, right, on a mountain, on a hill, on a temple that like over... You know, as time, the temple uh, in 
actual reality gets like slower, it's not slower, smaller, and less glorious. And by the second temple Judaism, you don't even have the tablets, you don't have God's presence. It's just people coming to a building and doing some kind of religious duty. And God's not working the way he did with the first temple, you know, before the exile and all these things. And he's saying, you know, when at the end of the age, I'm going to destroy this earthly temple Right, and that's when these things are going to happen. That's when the angels are going to come and separate the wheat from the wheat from the tares. And uh, I just want to bring us to um, at the end. Where's the last page here? So in Matthew 13, uh, 41, the Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Right? Number one, just to... Uh, put the nail in the coffin of what's called uh, premillennial dispensationalism of that there's going to be a coming uh, uh, tares and wheat and sure that's a eternal principle that's always happening right God's always separating lightness from darkness uh, he's always separating wheat from tares that's an eternal principle that God put forth in creation but then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, right? Uh, Christ wasn't calling us to some heavenly realm of like, then we're going to shine forth, we're going to be in heaven. No, we're going to, just as uh, Isaac was blessing Jacob, we're going to shine forth, we're going to be fruitful and multiply, we're going to fill the earth, we're going to be the ones that take over the earth. Guess what? God's kingdom is coming in power. He who has ears, you know, let him hear. It's probably a little hard to see in our day and age at, at certain points. And it's been hard to see at some points in history. But ever since the inception of the church, ever since Jesus said that, you know, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. He tells him whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We have the keys of the kingdom. We are the gates. Psalm, I think it's 100, says that we're the gates. Like, raise up, O ancient gates, O ancient doors. We're the ones uh, that are going to fill the earth. The descendants of Abraham are going to be more numerous than the stars. Like, that's amazing. And that's not just like some theoretical, like, well, over the course of time, you know, if you add them all up. Uh, you know, I had a, when I was in Cape Cod last week, there's less light pollution, and I saw way more stars than I'm used to seeing in Dayton. And that wasn't all of them. I, it wasn't like, it wasn't, I didn't see all of them that I could see because of the light pollution, right? But the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Um, you know, so that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. You know, we're supposed to take the blessing that like, you know, think of, uh, 
you know, in the going back to the Romans passage that like we're heirs, you know, if we're if the Spirit of God is is moving in us, that means that we're children of God. And if we're children, that means we're heirs. That means he's blessing us the same way that Abraham blessed Isaac and the same way Isaac blessed Jacob uh, when Jacob stole the blessing and when he didn't and when he sent him off to find a wife, right? In the same way, we're heirs of Christ that he's, you know, continually making intercession, you know, to the Father on our behalf and pouring out his spirit on his people. And it will be those people who proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, who make disciples, who not just like hold to, you know, God's like, I love thinking about God's promises about how that makes my life better. But, you know, uh, let's read, uh, let's read Romans and say, like, what is the promise of an heir? Well, that's interesting. Let's find out. I'm getting my papers all mixed up today. So the Spirit himself, verse 16 of Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So, you know, I'm pulling out of that, that, God's pouring out blessings like he's promising us, he's blessing us, he's calling us with the same promises that Jacob received from, from his father, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If they treat the king with the disrespect of the Christ and murder him and flog him and tear his clothes off and make him carry his own cross, we would expect the same things. And that's how the kingdom's advanced. That's how the kingdom comes. That's how Christ won his bride. And um, that's how his bride is going to continue to fill the earth and receive those promises. We're promised suffering, right? I don't like those promises as much. I don't like to think about those. I'm like, oh man, like, that's like, you know, I like to think about it like in a spiritual sense. Like, yeah, like it's, I'm kind of suffering to like, you know, not, feed my flesh as much as I want to. Like, that's somewhat suffering to bear your cross and follow Christ. But for most of the church in history, it's been real suffering the way Christ suffered, with persecution, right? And, you know, we're living in a time in history where that's becoming more and more real uh, in our nation. You know, there's just uh, the governor of New York decreed that no churches can meet in person. Indefinitely. What's the church going to do? <laughs> right? We'll see. Uh, you know, but we're, we're destined for suffering. And in those, Christ is more glorified. One of the, you know, to kind of end on um, this, that's how Christ won his bride. And, you know, when he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand, you know, I like to... I, I still think, like, the disciples thought, like, yeah, he's going to come, and he's going to ride in victory, and he's going to kill Caesar, because I buck Caesar's rules all the time, and his speed limits, and his whatever. And uh, that's not how Christ didn't come in that form. He came as a suffering servant. And 
But Romans uh, 8.18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, and as the creation is eagerly waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, all of creation is like, you know, I think of like Psalm 19 about like the heavens and, you know, and earth, like the heavens are crying out and declaring the glories of God, like, like creation itself is like eagerly waiting for us to proclaim the gospel, to be heirs of Christ, to fill the earth, right? Some of the uh, curses in Deuteronomy 28 were those, you know, that are wrapped up in creation, like pestilence, famine, things like that, as when you disobey the law of God. Well, when you obey the law of God and the children of God increase, creation is actually going to be restored. The, uh, you know, in Psalm, or Isaiah, I think I've got it on here, in some notes, in the Matthew selection, in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 2, it points to creation being restored, you know, not just allegorically, but the wolf will lay down with the lamb. The, the children will play next to a, a viper's den and not get stung. Don't send your kids out to play in viper's dens yet. Don't, go, don't send them yet. But the day is coming in the future, right? When all of creation, the purpose that God has, has uh, decreed through his bride, through his children, through his heirs, through being suffering servants, through proclaiming the gospel and acting accordingly, that's how the entire creation is being restored. That's how heaven is being opened up and how we partake in, in, as heirs and children of Christ of, in our suffering and in our pro- the proclamation of the gospel and in obedience and, and all these things, becoming more and more and more sons and daughters of the kingdom, right? Becoming more obedient to Christ and, and you know, more deeper in every way disciples all the time and making more disciples like that's how the kingdom is expanding that's how we're shining forth that's how we're seeing you know the the uh wheat is 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 more uh shiny in you know in the parable in the backlight of the tares burning so think about this 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 week uh father we continue to pray that you would open up heaven and through Christ we would see your kingdom we would be your suffering servants we would become like you in every way that we would count everything lost to to see you that we would like when we see you Lord we'd say this place is awesome because you're here and uh, you know that Lord your word says that where can I go from the spirit of God like even to the depths of Sheol you are there Lord you are here tonight And we're here to praise your name, to worship you, and to glorify you. Amen.